UK Motor Talk. Hi everyone, uh, good evening, good morning, or indeed good afternoon, depending on where you are, or possibly good night, who knows. We are UK Motor Talk, I'm Mike, hello. I'm Jim, hello, how are we all? Hello, I'm Graham, welcome aboard. We're definitely in practice, because that was a much more slick introduction to the uh, the podcast than last time's effort, although slightly less humorous, I feel. Should we do that again, but do it badly? <laughs> we should. Uh, who are we again? Uh, definitely. Uh, yeah, how are we all? We alright? We're okay. Not too shabby. Good. Well, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and, and chatting with you all again. What's new since the last time we uh, we spoke to each other? We were talking about a few things, weren't we? Um, the tawny brown Escort Mexico four-door, which has, we understand, been sold. But we also don't know for how much, because it's a secret. Hugely disappointing. I'm going to try and find that out, and I will let you know through the course of the podcast if I do. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've uh, speaking of auctions, we've been bouncing around, or I've been bouncing around a few um, collecting cars. Other auction sites are available cars, you know, sort of the, the Gran Turismo PlayStation generation of cars. We had the uh, the Skyline that went through, didn't we? What did uh, what did that go for? You know, that was £177,000, wasn't it, for a uh, an R34 Skyline, which I thought was absolutely insane. You know, we we then sort of went. Well, I went McLaren shopping and Rolex shopping, so you could end up with a car and two rather nice watches and seventeen grand left over for the same price as that. Um, but I think also uh, just chugging through at the moment is uh, is an Impreza twenty two B, which last time I looked was was north of one hundred and sixty thousand pounds. It's just I I can't believe it you know any uh any signs of a slowdown or doom and gloom in the car market is uh is clearly not hitting the playstation generation of cars is it i think there's some evidence that uh we're back in the investment game and people are buying what they hope are the right cars which are appreciating classics and um will make them some money in the future this um seems to be the current thinking certainly Seeing what's going through the auctions on the on the west coast of America and in Europe, uh, there's some very very expensive motor cars coming up with some enormous suggested prices for them from the auctioneers. So it looks like being a boom year. Uh, let me just try and find that uh, that 22B and see what it uh, what it went for. It was. Uh... 1998 Subaru Impreza 22B. So one of the two ones you want. You either want a 22B or a P1. 92,000 kilometres it's done. So a reasonable chunk of mileage. What's that? 60,000 miles-ish? Something like that. 60, 70,000 miles. And uh, yeah, that went for £175,000. That's madness. It's really mad. It's the stuff that's 80s, 90s, and as you say, PlayStation generation from our youth. It's really just skyrocketed. I mean, even standard impressors, the, the blob eyes and bug eyes, which were a couple of grand, have, have gone up. But it, I suppose the, the classic Ford scene and retro Ford scene is as guilty of this as any other. Sierras, which are over £100,000, you know, uh, RS Turbos, which are 40, 50. It's just, it's, it's mad. It's really, really mad. The, the car's just gone through the roof. These are normal, and I've said it many times before, I know, or at least I've bleated on about it many times before, normal everyday cars, the whole point of which was that they were supercar fast, but for your normal pocket money that you could afford to run them, are just a ridiculous amount of money that you wouldn't want to take them out of the garage for fear of damaging them, which is a bit of a shame when you can go out and you can buy 
something far more exotic for the same money. You could go and buy a Ferrari or something. You can buy a supercar for the same money as a good competition Ford from the 80s and 90s, but it's just extraordinary the way things are going. That It's those cars that are going up so rapidly in price. Is that because there's so few of them? There is obviously a decreasing number of them, and the prices are going up accordingly. It's the fact you keep sending me links to uh, to listings for Fiesta STs of our generation, so the ST150 yes. or the Mark VI or whatever you want to call it, and they're just creeping up and up and up and up in value. And I kind of think, do, do we need to get our hands on an interior now and sort of unruin it and put it back together and then flog it for a bit more than we paid for it? But it's uh, I can't quite work out. I think I think we've had our fun out of it for the money. I think we'd struggled to do better for the money we've put into it. But will one of those change hands for sort of north of 50 grand? And then we just think, oh, we kind of probably threw 25 grand in the skip and then sold the other 25 grand for a few hundred quid. There are a whole TV series being made on exactly that basis, take an 80s and 90s car, refurbish it, restore it if it needs it, and um, make a few quid on it. And on any channel you like to name, that TV series is currently running. There's definitely a few out there. I, I guess uh, the Fist is perhaps a bit like a an XR2 in that regard. It's, it's one day going to be worth a couple of quid, but at the moment it is just an old car, isn't it? In the same way that they, they've always said that, that sex sells. I'm not sure it's allowed to these days. But now nostalgia, of course, sells uh, incredibly well. Jim, as an example, uh, you've been working your way through some of your 80s toys, haven't you? And you found a, a particular figure that was really obscure, and that did rather well on, on a, a well-known auction site. Yeah, it was. Uh, I've, I've been, uh, you know, my, my parents moved house um, just over a year ago now. So I'd done the uh, the clearing out of the loft and whatever else and, you know, gathered all my old toys, Thundercats and Action Man and uh, Turtles and, and whatever else gone through, all the old Tamiya boxes, all those have gone into the loft, etc. But uh, yeah, I'd sort of rifled through and managed to batch up all the old toys. So I'd stuck all the Thundercats together and sold them and done rather well out of certain ones of them. And there was the odd rare thing in there that I was really chuffed with but there was one little toy it was called the uh, it's called a stinger this one uh, a thundercats toy and it was it was one of the toys when I was batching up all the thundercats stuff you know I'd, even though it's been 30 odd years since I played with them all I could still just about remember you know which gun which toy which sword which whatever went with each character if you haven't seen this have a, a google of it thundercats stinger and it's uh, it's a weird little sort of humanoid bug thing uh, not particularly pleasant looking as you would expect but it's a uh, you know it had uh, it had some wings on it which rotated around those have long since fallen off i'd forgotten which batch of toys it belonged to so it went in the pile of odds and sods and and all boats went into the tip but i just had a, a quick search of it because i couldn't remember what it was and um yeah chucked it on ebay and, and got north of 200 quid for this thing it's just it's it i couldn't believe it but i think it's it's the one that nobody wanted at the time or i don't even remember him being in in an episode of it so hence nobody ever bought him or if it did get bought that was always it oh no mum that's rubbish that one so it got thrown away i mean one of these in uh in the box god knows what it must be worth you know well over a grand i would say but i was uh yeah rather chuffed with that so that's uh that's gone into the caterham fund so it's building up slowly but surely so yes, yeah, so I go all the way back to this escort then, which is an, a beautiful shade of of very seventies brown, early seventies brown. This is an an escort Mexico with four doors, which is a bit of an unusual car because generally speaking, they were all two doors, except for this very few that were produced. Um, it was a prototype, in fact. There's there's only six of them made. Just a a, a standard Mexico, otherwise a, a sixteen hundred cross flow, four on the floor, and yes, yeah, it's, it's come up to auction and. 
we hear on the grapevine it's it's made something like thirty two thousand pounds, but we have no idea actually because, like I say, they've they've kept this complete and utter secret from us. But there's there's loads of really exciting stuff coming up for the auction shortly. All kinds of things still somehow being found in barns and otherwise complete collections, which is perhaps a little bit unusual, including a load of lotuses. Yeah, I mean, if uh, if you happen to have a uh... Well, sort of eighty to ninety thousand old Thundercats toys still in the loft, all in the boxes. Then, um, yeah, dig them out now because I think you're going to need them. The size of this collection is um, comprehensive. They all seem to have a, a history. I think it's not just the cars themselves; it's the previous owners. Uh, the criteria seems to have been Lotus with proper celebrity driver, film star, owner. What do we got through? There's a, uh, you know, there's an ex-Peter Sellers Lotus Elan. There's a Jochen Rint Lotus Elan. There's an Emma Peel Lotus Elan. There's an Elan that was uh, Ron Hickman's car. So there's a hell of a few names in there. Rob Walker seems to be a, the largest collection of Elans, but with the uh, the most famous owners, Keith Duckworth, uh, one of his in there. Uh, to round the uh, the collection off, there's the the last Elan to be UK registered. So all of the all of the notable owners, Elans, and then the last one ever is uh, is in that collection as well. Each one has a, a guide price of mm, sort of fifty to eighty thousand, generally speaking, um, but a little bit more for Emma Peel, Jochen Rintz, uh, and Peter Sellers one. So it's um yeah, dig uh, dig deep, but what a pretty collection of cars! I find it fascinating when you see these uh, collections suddenly appear at, uh, with with the. the big auctioneers they tend to be the the biggest auctioneers um, in the market that handle such collections but they they're almost always sort of one man's lifelong obsession with a particular mark or a particular type of vehicle particular brand it's almost invariably somebody who's got enough money so a successful individual and enough garage space to house a, a collection like this wonderful collection of lotai i was never sure whether a lotus is, 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 is. Or Lota, I've heard both used, so uh, I'm happy Loterati. to... Loterati. Loterati, <laughs> I'll stand correction on any of those. But, I mean, I, I saw recently there was a, another collection came up of somebody who had bought 50s and early 60s Rolls Royces and uh, uh, Bentley Continentals, which are a particular favourite of mine. But when you've got a collection of a dozen or so of those, you start to think in terms of well, perhaps a royal family, but you know it's a serious amount of money to have um, locked away in your garage somewhere because they're they're very often not used very much. They're they're just acquired. I quite like the idea of acquiring stuff. I, I got distracted in my in my own head there by what other Lotus related words we'd have like lotoriety, lotorious owners. Uh, if, they're, if they're famous, perhaps or something, I don't know. There's, there's got, there's got to be more. I like both of those. They're brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Lotoriety. This car was absolutely notorious. Um, <laughs> it's got to be usable somewhere in a sentence. On a small scale, I suppose I've ended up collecting several of the same car. At one point, I think I had three Orions, of course, because what else would it be? I had a red one, a blue one, both equipped, and a 1600e at the same time. I'm sure. When I lived in a flat with a garage with one, one space which made it a bit tricky. Mm-hmm. Far too many cars for the space. It's a shame it wasn't a, uh, a ground floor flat, because then you could have maybe opened up a wall and parked a car inside or something. I always think that's the, uh, the height of opulence. If you can have a car parked in your lounge, you can sit there looking at it of an evening. But I don't know, maybe a, an Orion in a one-bed ground floor flat doesn't quite have the same uh, same ring to it, does it? 
it it's it sounds remarkably budget Ferris Bueller. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? You need to be an indulgent uh, F1 and very successful F1 driver to have your cars hanging from your living room wall. Um, several F1 drivers in the past have done so. There's no way I'm going to hang an Orion from a wall for, for for several reasons. Firstly, because why would you? But secondly. Just imagine the rust and the cables pinging out whilst you're asleep. What's that noise? I can hear, I can hear something crunching and creaking. It just flies up and spins around and drops itself nose first into the floor into your breakfast or something. And presumably in, in a flat somewhere in Essex. Who knows? I, I did have the tail end of one as well in my back garden for a while because I, I was intent on making it into a barbecue or carbecue, if you will. So I, uh, I took a, a sawzall um, through the, the back quarter of a car and uh, took the whole thing, the boots, the rear bumper, the tail lamps, and everything else. Uh, so with a full intent of putting a grill on there. But the thing was so big, you could fit two full-size barbecues in there and have a double gas burner because it was huge. And presumably the gas bottles if you wanted to. But yeah, unfortunately, that's that's gone. Bearing in mind the last time we had a barbecue ran yours, you managed to set fire to a sausage somehow. I'm not quite sure. It's probably mm. not a good idea that you have a, a double width, double burner barbecue, is it? That's a, that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, double trouble. Things do happen to catch. I mean, I like sausages well done, but not necessarily on fire. Certain things I'm not good with. Barbecuing generally okay. Microwaves are a good example of this. I've blown up several. Sausage roll, you put it in, put it on for only five minutes, that catches fire. Who knew? Five minutes? I'm not surprised. Years ago, I was out uh, near my parents when they were both still alive, walking with the kids. And somebody who had uh, was in the process of barbecuing and had squirted something, some igniting fluid on the barbecue. And uh, I went in to see if I could help put it out. And by that stage, the shed was alight, the fence was alight, and the lady of the house, the gentleman of the house was had gone into panic mode. The lady of the house was filling up jugs at the sink for the kids to throw on the fire. And I said to him, should we perhaps call the fire brigade? Oh, no, no, we'll be okay. I just called the fire brigade anyway, because by that stage, they were in the process of burning themselves out of house and home. Complete <laughs> disregard for what was going on. All by an incompetent barbecue Easter. That's impressive, that is. I seem to remember that after the sausage had caught fire, I launched it into what used to be the koi pond, um, but that had been emptied and was full of dry leaves and um, and twigs <laughs> and things, and that then caught fire itself. And um, so there was a very big fire, uh, almost like a huge, because it was a deep pond, this thing. It must have been a good four foot deep below the ground. And then it was just a, basically a fire pit at this point uh, with this with this single sausage in there. Fast. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not, I suppose. I, I'd take your point. Maybe maybe not such a good idea. But nevertheless, as, as a very budget version of, uh, of, of the Lotus collection, very, very budget version. And to this day, I can't quite figure out why I needed so many of the same car. To put them all together to make one good one, a bit like the chap who used to be on um, uh, Shoreham on the seafront somewhere. I think he had sort of seven or eight Skodas, and this is, you know... Mid oh, yes, Skodas with the uh, the rep- oh, yes, you had about seven or eight of them all lined up, and only one of them ever worked, and that was it. And you got the sense that you just swapped bits from all of them to get one working one, and that was it. No, they all worked. They they all worked just fine, and they were all in good condition. To the blue one and the sixteen hundred E had been well, the blue one was in good shape anyway. The sixteen hundred E I'd sort of restored, and the other one was having the engine put in. Oh, the, these are your cars, not the Skodas. Oh no, not the Skodas. Yeah, I'm talking about my own cars. Um, you, you, you set me thinking with one comment that you made there about leaving the cars parked on the street, and I guess for most of us that is the case, but it, it sort of 
set me off on a slight tangent. When I, when I was um, uh, road testing cars for newspapers, uh, I didn't even have a drive. I mean, I was in a mid-terraced house, and anything I borrowed had to be parked on the street. And, you know, I only ever had one vehicle damaged, which was, as it happens, a Skoda, um, that somebody ripped the aerial off of. But at various times, there were Bentleys, Jaguars, all kinds of classic cars, a 48 Buick, dozens and dozens of cars. Nobody ever expressed any interest in them. And I, I sort of wondered a little bit later on, was it just that they were so overawed by these things being parked there that nobody would touch them? Probably back in the day when car ownership wasn't that common. So to have all those cars, you know, it was a bit like wasn't, having the only colour TV back. in the street, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it wasn't quite that far back. But. Well, if you were reviewing a 48 Buick, then yes, they were probably amazed at the fact that... No, it was a, <laughs> was a, was a, was a classic car uh, dealership that used to lend me cars. and Oh, uh, uh, I see. Wonderful selection of sixties, um, early seventies Ferraris were an absolute delight. But again, they were parked outside the house. Nobody touched them. That sounds a bit like my dad when he ran a um, uh, a car rental company. It was reasonably high up in a uh, in a well known car rental company, and uh, and he sort of he'd bring anything and everything home, but quite often get you know picked up and dropped off here and there and everywhere and they had a, a u-shaped driveway at the time so you drove in one side round and back out the other side and it got a bit excessive because all he'd do was he'd take the car that was nearest the exit gate in the morning and then get home of the evening and have to shuffle about 14 cars up because <laughs> where they'd been picked up and dropped off and in the end it was just you you just pick the car at the front and every now and again had to shuffle them all along one and it just it got a bit silly really but mm. well there is one thing i want to talk about speaking of lotuses and that is Lotus, as we know, incredible for drivers' feel. The Elan small car, light car. Fabulous motor car. All the feedback that you get from something like that, you know, something that is small and lightweight and, and generally driver-focused. And there are lots of cars that you can buy today that are like that. Well, I say there are lots. They're, they're becoming fewer. But if you look at um, something like the Alpine A110, Lotus Emira, for example, and then I came across something the other day, and, and they, this has completely and utterly passed me by. A Toyota, and forgive me if I get this wrong, a BZ4X, which is an electric SUV-y thing with lots of plastic cladding and stuff on there, which may have passed the rest of you by. It's the same as the Subaru Sultana, Sultera. I think this also shares a model name with the uh, photocopier we've got at work, doesn't it? bz 4 S. It sounds like a Wi-Fi password is what it sounds like. Anyway, terrible does, name for a it? car. It, it's like they had the code name for the car and then couldn't be bothered to actually name it. But anyway, you can get this with a normal steering wheel or you can get this with a yoke. So a bit like the Tesla Model S Plaid or kit from Knight Rider. But if you choose that option, it comes with steer by wire steering. So nothing at all connected to the front wheels. Um, which means you can have a very tight turning circle, so you don't have to take your hands off the yoke. But the idea of that terrifies me slightly, I have to say. Well, I'm not sure it's that... Um, I mean, it, it's it's very common, obviously, in the aeronautical business, but um, most most planes are fly-by-wire. But I'm sure this has been in cars before when I saw this story, and I thought, I can't remember who and what and when, but I'm sure I've come across this before of somebody doing just the same uh and some years ago but that technology has been around for a long time but i'm not sure i like the idea of steering with a yoke you know if i'm going to do that i might as well have a dion bouton from 1902 
and to hell with it, you know, and steer it with, with whatever comes to hand, yoke, wheel, stick, or whatever. Mm. Well, I think according to uh, the font of all knowledge that is a, uh, a search engine, other search engines are available, naming no names as we're not sponsored. There's no fully drive-by-wire production vehicles, but there've been a few uh, a few concepts of it. Tell a lie. Apparently, Infinity have uh, have used steer-by-wire systems for a while. Apparently, but yeah, I just I don't I. I don't think it's a good idea if I'm, you know, you still just want that mechanical, you know, so that if all else goes wrong, you know, it's a bit like where they have diagonally split brakes, isn't it? So if one circuit completely goes, then you've still got at least Something. one front and one rear wheel being uh, being braked. And it's just, yeah, it doesn't seem doesn't seem like a good idea to me. There, there are a few things that really give me concerns. The first of which is in a plane, yes, I kind of understand you have fly-by-wire. It, it makes sense for a number of reasons. In, in a plane, partly because quite often, if you're in something incredibly fast, for example, like a Eurofighter, you need computers to constantly be adjusting things in order to stop you from crashing. So there's a lot of corrections that need to be made constantly. So it makes sense that a computer can do that <laughs> and it can interfere in the middle. There's some cars like that as well. But if you're in a car, there's lots of things around you and it's a lot busier than I think generally, unless you're approaching an airport, being in the air. So if something does go wrong, you want to be able to pull yourself over to the side of the road, glide to to stop. There also seems to be a lot more redundancies in, in an airplane. So if one system goes down, you have yeah. several other computers that can take over. That's the difference of multiple systems. Yes, you don't generally hear, I mean, it might be a case if you just don't hear about it, about planes going wrong with their computer systems failing, uh, as you do with cars so much. But also, when it comes to cars, you really want to have some sort of sense of what the wheels are doing. And I know that electric power steering systems are well a lot of them are rubbish to be honest with you it was almost certainly the worst part of the audi i had uh, and a, a lot of modern cars in modern cars current cars really that have an e-pass system have next to no feel back through so the wheels can be pointing anywhere but they still have some so if you go over a pothole or something similar you can feel that back through your steering wheel for example and you have a general rough idea as to as to where the wheels are going that's been a complaint of power steering systems as long as they've existed, and but the latest systems, there does seem to be less feedback and less realistic sensation of where you're going. And what the hell are you going to do on black ice? I don't know with a, a, an excessive feedback system controlling your steering for you. Mm. But it's, I mean, I suppose it makes um, production easier. You know, swapping a car from left-hand drive to right-hand drive. I suppose it makes it easier. That's always been occasionally tricky in the past, and then you end up with cars that either have random quirks, like uh, lots of Renaults that the wipers went the wrong way, and I think lots of early um, uh, early Golfs suffered from brake pedal feel, etc., because they rather than relocate the master cylinder, they just ran along a pipe from the pedal to the cylinder. Um, so mm. I, I suppose it makes that easier because in theory all you need to swap is the dashboard and if everything is accelerate and brake and steer by wire then you just swap the buttons and the you know the sensors over and that's it but I, I yeah I, I still just don't think it's a good idea I guess the next question is does it matter in something like a, an SUV that's that's probably more focused on comfort than it is on handling maybe maybe not but I just I just don't know if I'm I'm comfortable with this and then there was a the whole idea of um uh, we were speaking in our in our WhatsApp group about subscription uh, services for cars which is something we'll we'll come back to in just a moment but by the same token people will always find a way to hack systems so for example you could have something like Carista or I forget what the uh, the four systems called but you can connect it to your car and you can say, oh, I'd quite like to turn on D 
dipping rear view mirror or I want the headlamps to have a longer delay or I want to turn the start stop off. That's fine. And you can do this wirelessly now. The concern if someone can remote access your car and turn your steering off for you may, may be a bit more of a more of a concern. <laughs> it depends whether you're a foreign government's uh, agents, because if one is to believe conspiracy theorists, they do it all the time. Well, we had a professor some years ago called Jim Saker, who is uh, an industry expert. And he was talking about security of the cars generally. He was saying if you had, I don't know, uh, a president's limo, for example, and I've just realised that our list numbers have picked up here and they're all CIA. The, the listener figures in Langley uh, have, have improved dramatically. Um, they know how to do it. Yes. If you can remember access to the beast, for example, and then tell it to, I don't know, stop because it's got a drive-by-wire system. The accelerator works on, on, on drive-by-wire or the brakes work via the computer, of course, like they do in pretty much any car. So you tell it to stop, put the brakes on and lock the doors suddenly or unlock the doors. You've got a vehicle that's a sitting duck. Uh, and if you can stop the steering as well, yeah, I just, I don't, I, I just don't know. I, I trust having uh, no, no contact at all with either brakes or steering. I think both of those things require some, some sort of physical link. I mentioned the subscription services, which are available now on things like BMW, Audi, um, for example. And it's different for different markets, different countries. You buy your car, you lease your car, whatever you want to do. When you're the original owner, you can spec whatever you want on the car, except now you can't always do that. What a lot of the manufacturers are asking you to do is to subscribe to the various different features. Sometimes it's an app. I know that the likes of Ford have dreams of doing this and haven't actually managed to to make it quite work. But Audi, for example, and, and BMW famously have asked people to subscribe to heated seats. The idea is you'd pay whatever it might be, three or 400 quid for it up front, or you pay for it per month, per year, or for a period of years. Uh, and then you unlock certain features on your car. Uh, and then otherwise, your mates get in the car, point to buttons, and they don't do anything and say, why are you a peasant and why are you not paid for this? I'm not sure... I like the idea that they've put the things in the car and just haven't switched on. It seems remarkably tight to me. I mean, it was always fun in the old days where you, um, you know, you'd be overjoyed to discover that actually the wiring loom and all the bits and pieces were there for what you needed to add. So you could add, you know, powerful mirrors. You just needed the mirrors and the uh, and the door switch, and you could swap it over. But it's, I don't know, it's one of those, you know, subscribing is uh, is all well and good when it's software and you're Apple and you subscribe to things like music or storage or games or, you know, things like that where there's constant innovation and things being uploaded and updated all the time. But I, I really do sort of object to subscribing to something that you've already paid for because you've already paid 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 and whatever it is, £1,000 for the lump of metal. Why subscribe to to more you know I, I get that it it gives the uh the manufacturers maybe a revenue stream in the second ownership of the car's life you know if you're not fussed about heated seats you don't have them subscribed but the second owner might want it and it, and it get you know it makes production costs easier but you know if if uh, ford and bmw and audi and all this lot have got dreams of apple's level of monthly subscription income I, d I think they're on another planet because the uh, the things are just so expensive to buy in the first place you know seventy thousand pounds for a car and you want to pay another few pounds a month for the the heated seats it's I, it's not right it's really not right I d it, it isn't right and I, I i going back to our earlier comments on the security aspects of uh, 
of, of certain types of car ownership. One wonders when they'll get to the point of, well, you haven't paid your subscription, so we'll lock your seatbelts and we'll turn the, uh, the the heated seats up to the max. Um, now are you going to pay up for your subscription that you failed to pay last month? Your toasty buttocks. Well, what's interesting <laughs> is that the the as I understand it, now the chap who um, has programmed some of the cars for me, I'm just turning on extra features and things that I'd, I'd like, has got a um, a very very much a very new uh, hybrid A3, and he was looking at being able to do bits to the car. But once you turn it on, it communicates directly with Audi because the cars have modems and things in. And it checks that all the things that are live on the car are the things that you've actually paid for. And if it isn't, it shuts the car down. I really object to this on the basis of, no, if you've, you've paid for it, I could maybe understand it if it was a, um, you know, a lease car because, you know, there's no option to own that at all. So it's never yours. A PCP, you know, you're, you're renting the money to buy it. In essence, you're, you're paying the cost over a few years when the car's brand new. But, you know, if, if, if there's no finance on a car, you own it lock, stock, the lot, or, you know, you've taken out a loan to buy it or whatever. So you've bought it with your own money. It, mm. it's yours it's a physical yeah. thing that you own at that stage and and by subscribing to something that's not you know it's it's not being developed it's not it's no cost to anyone uh like i say you know you pay for your your icloud storage or your your apple music you get access to every song that gets uploaded and there's thousands of them every day you know netflix you pay whatever it is per month or you nick whoever's password that you're nicking until they clamp down on it and you know, I think Netflix. You, if you, you couldn't watch all of it. You every hour, every day, there's way more than twenty four hours of new stuff uploaded. So you'd never be able to watch it all, and that's incredible value because it's a constantly evolving thing. But you know, for for the heated seats, if if they're there, if you've bought them, if you've paid for them, you know, they're yours. Simple as that, as far as I'm concerned. It's buying a house, and then you know they charge you to have coloured paint on your walls, and if you haven't paid whatever, then the paint suddenly becomes white. It's, it's silly. It doesn't make any sense to me. The very fact that these things are, have been built into the car, the car, car makers are not building these things in for, for, for zero cost, regardless of whether they're going to have a subscription on them or not. You're paying for them up front. If it's got heated seats, it's got heated seats, and somewhere in the way that price has been uh, calculated, you've paid for them. So uh, to then charge you a subscription to use them it's, it's, I think, a, a disgrace, absolute disgrace. But I think it's, it's maybe more, maybe more of a, of a reaction to the, the state of the motor, you know, the motor manufacturing and and selling industry as it is at the moment. I mean, it's in a, it's had a, a few massive years of upheaval. A lot of it's been, you know, of its own making, so to speak. COVID and the, uh, and the cancelling of semiconductor orders and and everything that's happened there and and. A lot of the manufacturers seem to sort of bet on it and get it wrong. And then we've had uh, plenty of manufacturers who've been really, 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 really late to the uh, the EV party uh, and so far behind and then trying to play catch up. And then just as all that happens and everybody's just about starting to adopt EVs, you know, we've had electricity prices go absolutely balmy. So the, the conversation around, well, you know, how much is it to run? How many miles does it get out of a charge? And and the answer was, well, it almost doesn't matter how many miles it does because it costs you 12 quid to charge it up. So if you do more than 120 miles, it's better than an internal combustion car. Oh, well, how many miles does it do? 300. Oh, that's way better. Oh, yeah, I'll have one of them. 
but all of a sudden your electricity costs, you know, if you were on a night rate of 5p and you're now on a variable, your electricity costs have gone up six times compared to what they were. So it's suddenly a very different conversation. You know, it's a bit reminiscent of the Labour Party getting everybody into diesel cars and then whacking up the duty on diesel. <laughs> um but it's uh, there's there's certainly been a, a cataclysmic drop off in the value of EVs in uh, in the last few months. I think possibly well, to do with uh, energy prices and range. It's freezing cold, so the range drops and your price goes up. Then um, the uh, the running costs per battery full suddenly look a lot dearer, and you don't go as further for it. But then we have we have things like Tesla dropping uh, what was it seven grand off the list price of all their cars, which suddenly makes most legacy automakers EV cars suddenly look very expensive and I think lots of legacy manufacturers are struggling to make money as it is but then all of a sudden Tesla's monthly lease or PCP costs shoot through the roof which um, is a bit odd because you would think if the new prices dropped and the residuals drop then you know in theory the difference between the two should stay roughly the same but it's um, you know now's a good time to buy Tesla if you're paying cash it's uh, it's just it, it's uh, a bit of a, a crazy market at the moment, isn't it? But I think maybe there is a bit of a hankering for. Actually, I just want an older car where if I press a button, it works because it's got it and it was built with that new. And bearing in mind the the number of features that manufacturers seem to cut out of cars to save semiconductors or cost these days, it's um yeah, is something older better? It may well be. Which is interesting, I think, because if we. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I like the whole idea of the connected car. It's useful for being able to start your car and have it all defrost in the morning. But It is beautiful <laughs> for that. I will give it that much. But to give all the information back to the manufacturers and, and, and to have everything out there about your, your daily routine, your driving style, your economy and everything else, I'm, I'm not so sure. Which, interestingly, leads me to, to a couple of cars that I spotted just this morning that have popped up on a social network's marketplace uh and uh, i'm just trying to think of another name for it really and these are cars <laughs> that are, are are suspiciously cheap but still tempting what was the first one i popped up it was a tiv wasn't it uh i think a chimera it was or is sixty thousand miles on the clock no mot <laughs> okay but past the last mot with no advisory which means that it's either in fantastic shape or it's bent and it was eight and a half thousand pounds with a V8 in it. And I don't think you can get much more of an analog driving experience. What a bit of kit for that sort of money. A great driving experience. All the TVRs are. They're also a major problem when they go wrong and they yes. do go wrong. Never uh, heard of that. And that, that 60,000 miles uh, will represent an awful lot of cost and heartache for uh, the various owners or one owner, whichever it is. Um, I, I, I've not known a TVR, and I've driven quite a number of them, that hasn't been problematic. Not as, as bad as the earliest one I drove, which was a S3C that I drove in a rainstorm, as it happened, and it just filled up with water. And no, it wasn't a convertible. <laughs> it was the coupe, and uh, there were three or four inches of water sloshing about in the footwells. It was just awful. But uh, I've driven a number of others that were not terribly well screwed together, and that, that V8 is... Wonderful, but extremely expensive. I've had that V8 in other vehicles, and it's a very, very expensive lump to run and to keep in good order. One of our colleagues had one, um, which is, apart from some early electrical problems, who'd have thought it, with the immobiliser, I think it was otherwise pretty uh, pretty faultless, wasn't it? 
It was serviced. It, you know, it had the odd bush, the odd set of brake pads mm. and tires and spark plugs and bits and pieces. But no, it was, um, it it was pretty much perfect that thing. And again, you know, as we were looking at it, I thought, I think he uh, he sold it not that long ago, and I th- I forget what he sold it for, but I don't know, sort of twelve, thirteen grand i think maybe something like that maybe 14 but it was uh it needed a front end respray because he'd done a fair bit of mileage in it so it needed uh, a bit of uh aesthetic tidying up but mechanically it was it was absolutely spot on that thing but i think it ran better because it was it was used every day certainly throughout the summer it was used every day and the the off-road period because it's winter and the weather's rubbish he tried to keep as short as possible and even when it was off he'd start it up and run it often so it you know i think uh, a lot of these cars that live in the garage and only get used you know four times a year well they get started up have the knackers thrashed off them for a sunday and then put back in the garage that that's always going to lead to problems isn't it you know Mm. if you only got out of bed once every three months and tried to run a marathon at full pelt then Lots of your muscles would snap, wouldn't they? So it's uh, it's understandable. When the Griffith first came out, I borrowed one and drove it from the south coast to Birmingham to the NEC for the motor show, and it nearly bankrupted me. And I was taking it quite <laughs> quite gently. You know, it's, you you need your own oil well practically to feed one over any distance. Mm. Uh, the other temptation for me, and as this has potential of being a real real money pit was an Alfa Romeo GTV. Yes, I think we've we've spoken about this one before and we keep uh, we keep sort of sending it to David who uh, We do. Uh, of course sadly can't be with us this evening and sort of keep sending it to him saying do it, do it, do it, buy it, do it. And uh, yeah, I think he's uh, he's getting more and more tempted, but he has to just drop the price a little bit. So I think it's what is it, eight hundred and fifty quid this thing. Eight hundred and fifty pounds. And he just get response no because Dave knows exactly what will happen. Financial ruin doesn't come cheaper than 850 quid, does it? That's a very no. cheap way of bankrupting yourself. Hmm. Well, that's true enough. Yes, the moment you spend any money on it, it's going to be a problem, isn't it? Condition-wise, a few scuffs on the bumper. Interior looks lovely. It's worth buying just for the, the seats. The full description, Alfa Romeo GTV, no MOT. Can't imagine it being a problem <laughs> fly-through. Um, it's just gone down in money again. I'm just I'm looking at the advert now. Eight hundred and five pounds is now Ooh, an odd you, number. Shall we all club together? Look, there's four of us sat here this evening. Shall, shall we all put two hundred and one pounds in? Dr- try and knock him down a quid. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a great Alfa Romeo fan and and have been, but uh, any any Alfa Romeo I've been anywhere near as as cost an awful lot of money to keep running well this looks looks brilliant i mean say a few scuffs on the car but we'll ignore that runs and drives great brakes a bit squeaky when they warm up full service history though this is grab a bargain before i mot it at 999 pounds this has done a mere 150,000 miles so it's barely running it has alloy <laughs> wheels uh, it's a two liter t spark so it would be relatively economical to run and Presumably, the person that's been driving it, all three of the owners, or three plus owners, it says now, have been relatively svelte because the uh, the seat itself seems to be in good shape and the bolsters haven't been squashed. Yeah, I mean, what more could you want than mid nineties Italian electrics? I can't imagine anything would go wrong with that at all. Uh, if you do buy this, incidentally, uh, and if you are interested, it's currently for sale in the Crawley area. So if you buy this, do please uh, either tweet yeah, us or, or message us and let us know uh, whether this was terrible, terrible advice and you have now been financially ruined by spending literally any money on it whatsoever. We are at UK Motor Talk pretty much everywhere. 
So I guess on all that very useful or entirely useless consumer advice, uh, do go out there and buy yourself a 90s classic. Probably don't spend £170,000 on something. Spend £805 on an Alfa Romeo GTV uh, because it's bound to be worth a fortune and I'm sure you'll get all of your money back that you put into that one. I think probably it's time for us to say goodbye. So from me, Mike, goodbye. From me, Jim, it's goodbye. Take care. From me, Graham, it's goodbye. And uh, just remember, any advice given on this channel is given freely, willingly, and there are no returns available. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.